and welcome to The Scrum, WGBH News' political podcast. I'm Adam Riley. There are about two months to go until Boston holds its final 2017 city election, with voters selecting a mayor and the members of Boston City Council. I think it's fair to say that so far none of the races has gotten a ton of attention, but there is still time to kick the various candidates' tires and dig into some of the big issues that are facing Boston right now. Joining me in WGBH's sun-dappled Boston Public Library studio to talk about how the press should proceed is Yawu Miller, the senior editor at the Bay State Banner. Yawu, thanks for coming to Copley Square. Thanks for having me, Adam. Also joined today, I'm also joined by Joan Venaki, the renowned Boston Globe columnist and member of the Globe's editorial board. Joan, great to see you as always. Great to be here. And finally, last but not least, Peter Kadzis, WGBH News senior editor and my esteemed scrum partner. Peter, how goes it? Very well, Adam. Joan, let's start with you. Uh, What do you think the Boston political media should be focusing on between now and Election Day, November 7th? Adam, I'm going to start out by saying I haven't written much about the mayor's race, and I feel really guilty about it. So I don't feel like I want to start lecturing the Boston media on what they should be covering. Um, But I I think it's interesting that it's, I mean, it's gotten such little attention. And I would attribute some of that or a lot of that to just the total emphasis on all things Trump and what's happening nationally. That's a piece of it. The other piece of it is just that we have this tradition here, and I think it's a terrible tradition, of kind of electing a mayor for life. Yeah. And the bar seems to be set really low once you get in as to how much you're going to be challenged and how much pushback it's going to be. That being said, I think there are really important issues facing the city right now. Schools, as always, crime, which in certain neighborhoods, um, development, economic inequality, lack of housing, and the state of public transportation. Those are pretty big ones. By the way, I should note that I am by no means suggesting that (laughs) I have surpassed other people, other journalists in virtue when it comes to covering this race or the GBH has institutionally. I, I'm, I think, trying to blame us as a profession. Let me ask you before we go to Yahoo. I, I however, am comfortable in my hypocrisy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joan Vanaki, I'm, I'm curious. Have you not done as much as maybe you could have because of the two things you mentioned, because it's impossible to escape Trump on a daily basis and because I think there's this sort of widespread assumption in the media as well as elsewhere that, well, Marty Walsh is going to win anyway, so how much do we need to talk about this? I think it's, it's hard to fight that sense that his win is inevitable. But I think we need to fight that. And I think it would, you know, it's, it's just too easy to say, well, there's no race, so we shouldn't cover it, because I really do believe there are important issues. As for my own coverage, um, some of it, I think, is driven sadly, by what people read and click on. And there's a huge appetite for national news, and you just get less readership if you write local. And I think that's a real challenge for the media right now. Yawu Miller, uh, what do you think is out there crying out for coverage that has not been covered sufficiently to date when it comes to the city races? Everything Joan said, all those issues. And I think that the voter, the results of the preliminary election are sort of like the tea leaves. And, you know, we're starting to go through those. So we know we, we, we see that um, Tito Jackson won three wards. He, ward one, he won Ward 12, which is Roxbury. And then uh, Ward 11, which is the, the sort of Roxbury, uh, Jamaica Plain Ward, 
uh, that's a little more diverse um, than Ward 19, which is sort of like the tonier side of JP with the you know, $3 million condos. So he won those three wards, which says that you know, he has potential for growth in, um, you know, among African-Americans uh, and Latinos who make up the majority of people in, in uh, 12 and 11, but also among white liberals and particularly Boston public school parents, many of whom are working on his campaign in those two wars in 11 and 19. Um, so, I mean, I think we're going we're gonna to drill down on those numbers and look at those issues. I think education is a wedge issue between Jackson and the mayor, and we'll certainly be looking um, at some of the some of the issues. Last year, uh, um, Walsh went through, I think, three uh, student walkouts, and as well as a, uh, a picket of his State of the City address on on or specifically around the issue of school funding. Um, sort of, what are the long-term school uh, plans for the Boston Public Schools? Is the mayor planning on closing schools? which he reportedly said to some Jamaica Plain parents. So, I mean, I think some of those issues, um, you know, you would want to see those come out in the two debates that are scheduled, one here with uh, Jim and Marjorie. Um, so that's what we'll be looking for. So you are very good at looking at numbers from city elections and, and identifying trends or identifying tensions or patterns that I think escape a lot of the rest of us, me certainly, is there anything else that you noticed as you started to go through the results from the prelim that stood out to you as noteworthy? Well, from last year, we're going back to Trump. I hate to, <laughs> I hate to do this, but there was that precinct in Dorchester where he got 46% of the vote. It was also Marty's, um, uh, his, where he got the most votes in 2013. Um, it's Ward 16, Precinct 12. Um, right in the Cedar Grove area, uh, so uh, um, near the Erie Pub, the Ponsit, right? Exactly, ah. St. Brendan's Parish, across the street from the Erie Pub, right um, on the What's other the side. What's the Erie Pub's um, catchphrase? Gentleman's Prestige Bar is that what it is? If memory serves, anyway. Yeah, so, so there, um, Tito Jackson got three percent of the vote, and Marty Walsh got ninety-one percent of the vote. Now, going through. You know, every now and then you look at the OCPF records and say, who's giving money to, to Mayor Walsh? Um, I think it was uh, October, the, a filing today, actually, October 2nd. Um, there's $17,000. Um, 8000 of it's coming from people who identify as police officers or cops. And if you look at the zip codes of a lot of those people who are donating, again, this $8,000, almost, um, almost half of, well, not quite half, about 40% of what came in, it's in 02125. It's in that area, in and around Cedar Grove. So, um, you know, you're seeing strong support from police officers and firefighters. I think there was one teach, uh, Boston Public School teacher uh, who donated in there as well. So. Hmm. But, I mean, you know, the imbalance is kind of interesting to, to look at, um, you know, who's, who's, who's giving money to the mayor. Well, and the numbers that you talk about are especially interesting because, as we all know, Marty Walsh has, uh, as Linda Dorsina-Fori, the state senator, joked at the St. Patrick's Day breakfast, he's been running his mayoral campaign against Donald Trump, and apparently yeah. they're not holding it against him. Can I share an anecdote before we go to you, Peter Kadzis? I remember going to Green Hills Irish Bakery right by the Erie Pub with my wife and I think it was our first daughter. We have two now, but I think only one had been born. We, we drove in from the suburbs. I think it was when I lived in Melrose. I remembered having a, a scone from there that was delicious. We, we walked into Green Hills Irish Bakery and I felt a 
chilliness that as a transplant to Massachusetts, I have never felt before or since anywhere in Boston or the surrounding areas. It was sort of the equivalent of the needle scratching on the record and a bunch of people <laughs> looking up at us and making it clear in a nonverbal way instantly that we didn't belong there. Or that was how it felt at the time. Was it because you were from Melrose? No, just teasing. I, it <laughs> no. May, yeah, I may have it, worn somehow the Melrose-ness on my sleeve. I don't you have know a what big, it was. You have a big M stamped <laughs> on your forehead or something. Go Red Raiders. Is that what they are, the Red Raiders? All right, Peter Kadzis, uh, Yawu Miller, and Joan Vernaki have tossed out a, a bunch of different issues. Schools has come up a few times. Uh, does schools top your list of things the press should dig into? Y yeah, schools, schools is the top. Um, and, and I think it would be unfair to say that while none of us, myself included, and my comfortableness with my hypocrisy notwithstanding, um, uh, schools have gotten a lot of attention in the press, as has housing prices slash development. I mean, um, schools is an issue, and it's one that Tito should be able to make some hay with, but he has a real challenge. I mean, um, how does he make noise, news rather than noise? And, and, and by that I mean, okay, Tito points out that the mayor cut the school budget. $140 million, the, right? Yeah. On the other hand, the mayor can point out that the school still received more money than they did before. So what I mean by yes, but. Um, you know, how does Tito grab everyone's attention by looking at the 20-plus schools that lost staff? You know, how do you make that concrete and, and, and make it carry? Um, but there were really big issues that are challenges for both of them. And um, one is closing schools. Now, I realize the McKinsey report is very controversial from several years ago. But if, if this we, is that report that was done for the city, was that under Tom Menino's tenure? No, no, this no, was this Walsh. Is, okay. This you. was done by Mayor Walsh. But it's been kept under wraps for years. Well, but, but the gist of it is that according to this report, and I'm saying according to this report, and I'm more than willing to. Um, admit, assume, suspect that, you know, the report itself can be picked out, that 30 to 50 schools should be closed to combined out of the total of 120 for a savings, an annual savings that will be between 50 and $85 million a year and a one-time savings of 120 to $200 million. Let's just consider those benchmarks. Um... Most people who have kids in the Boston public schools will recognize, I have one, all three of my kids went through the Boston public schools, I have one left. Some schools are jammed, some schools are almost, let's just say they're not fully utilized. No one wants... That's a happy customer in the background here at BP <laughs> Newsfeed Cafe, by the way. Both the mayor and both, and Tito, need, need to confront this issue. The Boston public schools need more money. Um, we're keeping too many schools open. What's the right number? I'm not going to claim what it should be. That specifically is a debate that should be taking place. Joan, I think I, I was about to speak, and it looked like you wanted to hop in. Well, I was just going to say I'd frame it a little bit 
differently or more broadly. I think what, what you said is right. I mean, how does he make news, not noise? And kind of getting lost in the weeds of one school versus another school is a good way to get lost in the noise, I think. I mean, to me, the question is, did Mayor Walsh deliver for the coalition that supported him when he first ran? Tito Jackson endorsed him. Uh, Mel King endorsed him. The black community helped um, Walsh win. They have to decide, and as Tito said when he met with the Ed Board, um, he feel you know he said to us that he, that Walsh did not has not delivered. I think that's the case he has to make, um, not to just make it about the black community, but that was an important part of Walsh's victory, and I think he really needs to make the case that he did what he promised. But just let me. Um, one of your reporters, O'Sullivan, I think, did a piece saying... The coalition holds. ...that the, the, the Menino-esque coalition more or less held for Walsh. And when you look at the numbers from 30,000 feet, there's an argument there. And I don't question the, you know, your, your granular look. At, yeah, I, at, I mean, again, I think those three, those three wards, 11, 12, and 19, are important to look at because in a preliminary, you know, it's going to be low turnout. The mayor's machine was working furiously. I got door knocked um, right in Ward 12, right in the middle of Tito's base, and he still ho- held 12 down. A lot of city workers are among those who are actually turning out to the polls. Um, so I think in the general election, you'll see a bigger and broader turnout and a broader cross-section. Um, it'll be interesting to see whether Tito's able to expand his, his, um, his share of the vote. In the um, in the general, I mean, the conventional wisdom would say he will. That as more people turn out, who are more liberal and a higher percentage of people of color will turn out. I mean, T- Tito did really poorly outside of the black community. You know, in West Roxbury, in South Boston, you know, really poor returns. As though as the communities where he actually did win turn out in higher numbers and higher percentages and sort of catch up to the you know, the outer neighborhoods, um, we should expect to see him, you know, see whether that coalition still but, holds but, for what. But he didn't, and by the way, I don't want to come across as being anti-Tito here, but, <laughs> you know, Tito hung on to the, 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 the votes he got in Ward 12. He's hanging on by his fingertips. I mean, this was not a commanding, it was not a commanding win. Yeah. But, but the whole point, isn't it, that we've got, um, how many weeks until ele- the general election, and that he could reset and reframe. And one, another overarching theme is, are we happy with Boston as a city of the one percenters? Well, I mean, not everybody, you know, there are low-income people who are not necessarily black or Latino, <laughs> right? So it's about the haves and the have-nots, and who is this city for, and who's it de- who is he delivering for? I have actually wondered, watching Tito Jackson, he'll, he'll make that case that, you know, this is really two cities, not one booming city, as Mayor Walsh suggests, and that it's becoming harder and harder for people of modest means or less than modest means to live in Boston. But I have wondered about what feels like sort of a, uh, I don't want to say incoherence because that's too harsh, but it seems to me like he tries to hit Walsh on a number of different fronts rather than just honing in on one or two. And I don't know what I'm talking about here because I've never run a campaign. I've never been a consultant. But if I were Tito Jackson, I think I'd be hammering the affordability question again and again and again. I'd say Boston's becoming another San Francisco. Unless we do something radically different, you're not going to be able to live here in 10 years. Your kids aren't going to be able to live here. 
I, my gut tells me that if he had a more focused line of attack when it comes to Walsh, he might be getting more people to pay attention, but maybe I'm wrong about right. that. Right. When, when the nomination papers first came out, I want to say it was May, um, Walsh and Jackson were in Dudley Square collecting signatures. Um, Walsh sort of demonstrating that he's going to go right to Jackson's base and in, in campaign hard, which he has been doing. I asked him, as he was standing in Dudley Square, I asked the mayor what he was hearing from people. He said the number one issue was affordability and displacement. People were afraid that they wouldn't be able to live in the city. So I do think that's a vulnerability for Walsh as we're in the middle of this tremendous building boom and people are saying, you know, um, I couldn't afford to buy the house that I live in or I can't afford to live here anymore. Yeah, well, Miller, let me ask you about another critique that we've heard from Jackson. I'd love to get Peter, you and Joan to weigh in on this as well. But uh, the mayor likes to talk about how safe Boston is. He used to call it the safest city in the country. We did a piece at GBH pointing out that it's pretty safe by a number of metrics, but you really can't argue that it is the safest, and I think he's since pulled back on that. One of the comments that Tito Jackson makes or the critiques he makes on the campaign trail is that, uh, what Peter, refresh my memory, the life expectancy is 30 years less. Is it Roxbury and Back Bay? I can't remember how he breaks it down, but basically that parts of the city are, are safe and people live good long lives, and then there are parts where that's really not the case. What's your sense among the banners readers of whether they feel like in the predominantly african-american neighborhoods of the city there's a safety issue i think that there that, that um people have definitely bring been bringing that issue up there was a press conference this morning monica cannon you know was um talking about the you know a need for more robust police response for readers uh, pardon me for listeners who don't know who monica cannon is can you just id her quickly she uh is a anti-violence act, uh, activist who lives in roxbury um you know there's a challenge for tito in that in that the there are a lot of people who are saying, you know, there's too much policing, that there's this inequality in the, the amount of surveillance and, and, uh, and um, stop and frisk, et cetera. You know, so on the one, I mean, it's, it's, a tough, it's tough for Tito and for the mayor because on the one hand, you have people saying, you know, where are the cops when things happen? And then you have other people saying, like, you know, they're all over us you know, get them off our backs. <laughs> yeah, that's a tough needle to thread. Yeah. Peter, were you going to... Oh, I, think, well, I think one area where Jackson should hit the mayor is on body cameras because he's been kicking that one down the field. And uh, Can you say that one more time just because I know you touched the mic? Oh, just body start, cameras. Yeah, if you can start, start at the sense where you, another issue... Another issue where Jackson should really hit the mayor is on body cameras. Uh, uh, police have been resisting uh, wearing body-worn cameras uh, there was a, a six-month trial, or was it three months? Uh, there was a trial period that ended, and the mayor renewed. And then, you know, September 11th, the second trial ended, and you know, you ask, so what's going? You know, what do you got? What are you going to do about body cameras? Uh, and mayor Walsh said, we're examining the data now. Other cities have implemented this. Why not Boston? Do you think it could have something to do with all those campaign contributions that came <laughs> in from Ward 16? That are attributable to Boston policemen. We'll have to look into that. Yeah, I'm willing to bet it is. Um, uh, I'm willing to bet. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I, I think that the, um, the talk of Boston becoming a, a, a city of uh, a divided city between the, the haves and have-nots, it's not rich and poor, it's haves and have-nots, is, is not, it, it, it's underplayed. The, 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 that difference is here now. 
the 20% of the schools that are deemed underperforming. Again, that number can be challenged, but let's just for the sake of argument accept it. That 20% of the schools that are underperforming serve the, 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 the poorest kids in the city. Um, I live right on the Jamaica Plain Roxbury border, and sometimes the, the, the mayhem, there's no other word, spills over. Do I feel safe? Yes, I do. But I'm aware that just a couple of hundred yards away, <clears throat> you're not so safe. Again, affluent, not affluent. The rich and poor divide is here. And bad news for Tito, but perhaps good news for the mayor, even though he understates it. I believe in the long run, these are larger issues that are out of the purview of the mayor. I mean, this is part of a national disgrace that we have. But again, I, I come to the verge of talking about Trump and Republicans here. Do you mean schools and crime? Uh, no, I meant, um, the, I mean, the, the gap between, between the poor, the haves and the have-nots. Right. And that th- that is becoming increasingly clear in the city of Boston. And, you know, I'm a lifelong resident, except for, you know, several years where I lived in Providence in New York City. I mean, I'm I'm a hometown kid, and I have never seen um, the, the difference so great. My own kids, you know, I doubt they'll be able to live in Boston if things keep going the way they're right. going. Right. When, when you talk about housing, I mean, or when they talk about wooing Amazon, where are those workers going to live? I mean, how are they going? They certainly won't be able to afford to buy a home in Boston or even pay the rents in Boston. I think Some of them might. They might be making the big bucks. But yeah, I, I think the, the upper Amazon, echelon. Yeah. Sorry, I think the Amazon workers, uh, in, I mean, if you look at Seattle, and, and I think Globe's been doing really excellent coverage of, of that, um, that you see a lot of, like, sort of young white males who are going to be living in these uh, studio apartments paying $2,000 a month rent. Um, I mean, I, when you, if you think about 50,000 people coming not just into Boston but into this area, you could see that exacerbating displacement um, in the area. I think it's, a, it's another avenue where, where Jackson could be, um, you know, sort of using that as a wedge on Walsh. Joan Vanaki, do you? Oh, I, here well, I have I this knack for talking going, over oh, people. I'm as sorry, a, and no, I have no, a knack of ask asking question, questions. I mean, my question is, is Tito Jackson running a campaign? Because I barely have a sense of that. Well, in fairness, I, and I've been awfully critical in my comments, I see Tito on the streets almost everywhere. I mean, as I move around the city, I'm always, you know, waving to him, saying, how you doing? He's on the street a lot. Does that constitute a modern campaign? Hard to say, but I see him out there working. Do you get a campaign schedule? Does something come in your email saying this is where it'll be? I no, mean, no, I'm just saying, but I'm just saying I like, see him pounding like, the pavement. I get that every day from the Walsh campaign, from City Hall, the mayor's schedule, from his campaign, the campaign schedule. Does he have that kind of structure in place? It may sound like a silly thing, but... Uh, there's got to be a sort of a framework and a structure to get coverage. Yeah, it's true. I've gotten the impression, and I'm not trying to cover them every day, that there are a lot of decisions being made on the fly about where is he going to be when. Uh, Yabu, I see you nodding. Is that a yeah, fair characterization? It's, it's, it seems about right. We, we do, we, we, you know, we have gotten emails from the campaign, but also there have been many days where, you know, where is he going to be, and you just kind of find out in the middle, in the course of the day. Joan, I want to 
flashback a little bit because you know development extremely well. You used to cover what was the column that you wrote at the Globe back in the day before Steve the, Bailey? It was called the private sector, and it What's was the about the intersection of public and private. So Peter just posited that Boston becoming a city of the haves and haves not, have-nots is sort of uh, an issue that is being driven by national currents that are beyond the control of city government. I would love to get your take as someone who has covered development a ton on whether you agree with that. I guess I don't agree with that. I mean, I think decisions are being... So there, that'll teach me. (laughs) Well, I mean, obviously there are some national currents at work here, but it seems to me the decisions that are being made about development in Boston right now, that the deciders have have decided that the old uh, uh, equations and the old concerns no longer apply whether it's a shadow here or a height there, um, that there's more to be, that we shouldn't be worried about little things like that. That makes us old. Time to let Boston rise. Right, right. right. Time to put the past behind us and not not be this little old town that, that worries about things like that. And that you're, It's quaint to care about things like that. And that seems to be the mentality right now. And I don't know, I'm... I'm Maybe I'm not smart enough to see or um, with it enough to say that I, that I agree, but that's the way we should be going. Well, but the mayor also says that by building a ton, that I, I think the argument that I've heard from how Department of Housing and Neighborhood Development is you build a ton, you try to get some affordable units, a lot more market rate units, but all those market rate units in the big, tall buildings that cast shadows where shadows didn't used to go, that they take pressure off the existing housing stock, and there's some sort of beneficial trickle-down effect that keeps keeps rents from getting as high as they might. Is that a fair characterization of the Washington Walsh administration approach? Well, that, that, that's, uh, I'll accept it as a fair characterization. To quote Joe Biden, malarkey. <laughs> if Look, they build it, they will come. I <laughs> according to the mayor's own statistics from August, um, and uh, these, these numbers come to me via the Bay State banner, um, Walsh in August was saying they've built 3,000 Units, uh, 13,000 units of housing. 1,380 of them are affordable. 2,000 are, you know, restricted middle class. That stinks. Now, that stinks if local people can really control it. If you can't really control it, it's not very good. That's sort of what I mean about... I, I think the mayor's real Achilles heel real Achilles heel is if it'll give jobs to the construction unions he'll approve it and and if you want me to cite what my my, my, uh, number one example of that is um, take the Allendale project. Allendale Woods. Allendale Woods. You know which is a relatively small project all things considered putting in high-income housing at a, a density level that zoning didn't allow, why? Why do we need it? You mean to say that, that, ex, that, that those extra units aren't going to put pressure up? I don't buy the argument. And, of course, all this stuff is unfolding against the backdrop of a city in which, tell me if I have my numbers right, half the people who live in Boston have incomes, is it half the individuals or half the families have incomes of under $35,000? We're all looking at each yeah. other. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm looking, you're the numbers guy. Right. Yeah, you'll have it, to Google a, that. I, yeah. I don't know the answer I think to we that might, question. We might be, we might be think, dropping that yeah. portion of right. the podcast on the floor. All right, <laughs> Yabu Miller. 
All right, Yabu Miller, I want to give you and Joan Vernaki one more chance to weigh in. So uh, penultimate word to you. I think uh, I'll go with Peter that that um, that the the two Bostons, the income inequality, and you know, are the mayor's development policies playing into that? That could be, um, you know, the greatest issue that where where Jackson could get traction. All right, Joan Vanaki, the absolute last word to you. Well, there's a race to be run, um, and part of it is the media deciding to cover it. But I also think that there's a responsibility the candidate has to make the case and to make the arguments and to point out the differences between him and his, his um, opponent. Um, we, I think the press actually is looking for something of a, a little bit of a fight right now. Um, so it remains to be seen, as we like to say. Yeah. <laughs> will, will, will Tito Jackson give it to us? Will he make a fight? There's, time there's a race, will tell. Time will tell. There's a race to be run. All right, Joan Vanaki of the Boston Globe, Yahoo Miller of the Bay State Banner, and Peter Kadzis of WGBH, thank you for joining me to kick this stuff around. It was a good Thanks. one. Fun. Thanks, That's going to do it for the latest episode of The Scrum. As always, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, where you should really subscribe if you haven't already. Also, if you have a chance, please rate us. Let, me, let us know what we're doing well, maybe what we're not doing so well. You can always find Peter Kadzis and I on Twitter. He is at Kadzis. I am at Riley Adam. Our producer is Jason Tereski. Our engineer today is John Parker. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. WGBH News.